When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves. In the program this week, New Zealand has a new world champion in kayaking. Auckland's set to host the NRL Nines tournament. The first Black Caps squad is named under Bruce Edgar. New Zealand eventing is on the rise again. And a Kiwi swims the English Channel. New Zealand has a new world champion this week with the North Shore paddler Tanel Hatton claiming gold at the Canoe Sprint World Championships in Germany. In fact, it was a successful championships for New Zealand with the Olympic champion Lisa Carrington defending her K1 200 title and then Hatton winning the K1 5000 metre title for her first major international victory. Barry Guy spoke with Hatton afterwards, who was just a little surprised by her 23-second victory. Yeah, I kind of didn't realise until I got a bit close to the finish, but I, um, I went out with my race plan and just stuck with it and just tried to make as much room as possible and while I was in front, and I think it, it ended up paying off, so I won it a bit more, with a bit more room than I expected, so I guess it's all good. Uh, and the the 5,000 metres, I mean, this is quite unique. Just tell us how that works. It's more just a, I guess it's a bit of a different race and it allows everyone to jump in and give it a go. It's a bit longer than than all the other events, but it's also a bit different. It's a bulk race, so there's a lot of clashing and like crashes along the way, which I guess makes it more interesting for people to join in and do it. Um, and it's more like the 200 guys can do it as well as the... 1,000-metre paddlers and the 500-metre paddlers. So it's, it's a definitely a fun event to finish off an event with. And so there's quite a group of you in there, is is it? And, you know, do you, it's not just a straight course? There was about 40, 40 girls in my race. And you go one big lap, which is about 2K, and then four smaller laps, which are about 500 metres. And you're going around in circles the whole time, so... You've got to be really good with your turns and you get a lot of wash along the way as well. So it's all very tactical and, yeah, you've got to have a lot of balance to handle the conditions. So did you go out early and just try and lead, get out of the way, did you? Uh, Pretty much. Like, I had a race plan of, like, try and get the lead by the first can because my strengths are the turns. So I really aim to get that first turn and nail it and sort of get a little bit of space from everyone. But... I certainly didn't expect to have such a good start. I managed to have an amazing start and then hold it for for the rest of the race. So I was I was pretty stoked with that. Um, so what does this uh, mean for you? I mean, uh, you're more recognised. You know, you've been doing uh, K2 events and that. I mean, but what does this victory mean for you? It just means that my training this season, I've really improved. Like I obviously I didn't get a chance to race the the K1 this season, but i got to put all that training into the K2, and I think um, my fitness and strength has picked up, so it showed with us qualifying for that A final, and then it was a bit more of a, a fun event and a bit of a payoff to then jump in the 5,000 and give it a good crack and see what I could do, see if I'd improve from World Cups. And, yeah, I think it, I think it showed in that result. So 
think it was nice to finish off with. So is this the end of the sort of northern season for you, is it? What happens now? For now, I actually go to Copenhagen for three weeks training for Canoe Marathon World Champs, which is it's the first time I've actually done it, so I would just want to give that a go. And, and then I get a break after that. So the end of September, I finally get to have a little bit of a break for the season, and then we jump back into the New Zealand sprint season after that. Uh, so marathon, how does that compare to 5,000 metres? What, what's the difference there? <laughs> well, there's actually portages, so you run between every lap. So it's 4K loops, and every loop you jump out of your boat and you have to run about 100 to 200 metres and jump back in and then do another lap. So I'll be doing the under-23 event and the open event. So uh, the under-23 is 20K and the open is 26K, so... It'll be, be a bit of a challenge, but I think it'll be fun. It's the first time I've done this sort of event, so I just want to see how I can do compared to everyone else. I, I imagine then you obviously put in quite a few Ks in training if you think you can do then 26 Ks. I mean, it's not just a 200-metre race, is it? <laughs> no, nah, not at all. Um, I definitely do, even during the sprint season, we do 20, 25K paddles, so this is more just see if my fitness can take me through the race and it's all like it's very tactical you you ride on each other's wash along the way and that sort of thing so you know it's just nice to see if my body can handle that sort of distance at a bit higher intensity compared to the easy long easy paddles that we do in training. The National Rugby League's Nines tournament is set to bring the game's biggest names to Auckland in February after the event was officially confirmed this week. The Auckland Council's contributing $9 million towards hosting the tournament over the next five years. The pre-season event will feature all 16 NRL clubs competing in a two-day nine-a-side tournament at Eden Park. Clubs will be required to include a number of their top players in their squads, and the NRL's marketing director, Paul Kine, says they've dealt with the concerns raised by the Melbourne Storm coach, Craig Bellamy, about overextending his stars ahead of the season. Interestingly with Craig, I actually went down and spoke with Craig and the, and the Melbourne Storm about the nine specifically. Um, I think Craig later um, recognised that we'd had that discussion. I was as surprised as anyone that it was Craig that came out because we had a long chat about the nines. Um, look, I think every club's um, ready to play. Every club's ready to put forward, as, we, as we've stated, you know, 12 of the 16 players will come from their top 25 and one of those players will be from their top five players. So every club's committed to that. Um, and, I th- and look, I think it's logical that every club will look at it differently. Some will, um, some will play um, in terms of preparation. Some will play with their best players to prepare for the season. Others may rest a player or two. I think it's natural to, um, to suggest that some of the World Cup players won't be ready for 2014, but what you're going to see here is 12 players from the top 25 from every one of the 16 clubs, and I think that's the positive. I think that's the, you know, that they are. There's going to be a lot of rugby league stars on display. Can we expect to see the likes of Thurston uh, from North Queensland, or you mentioned someone like the Storm who've got a lot of kangaroos yeah. involved in the World Cup? Obviously, not all of them are going to be available, but can we expect to see the likes of someone of Cooper Cronk or yeah, Hayden look, I, yeah, well, the, the logic of a, a player from the top five, the logic of that was to make sure that every club has has a leading player. Um, some clubs will have a lot more than you know one out of their top five, but the logic was to make sure we get one. Um, and look, I think pre-season. Um, 
the excitement of winning it, but also the actual proper preparation will come into it. You know, Billy Slater last year uh, didn't play All-Stars, but he wanted to play um, 15 to 20 minutes of football before he went on to the World Club Challenge. Now, you sort of play that out next year and, you know, the likes of a, a Billy Slater or a Thurston may come and play perhaps only in one or two games of nines, but you've got 18-minute games, you've got unlimited interchange. Um, so I think what, what you'll see is a lot of players here... Um, game time wise then they'll just be you know they'll be cared for by coaching staff and some will play a lot some will play a little um, and I think you know it will take um, a year or two for clubs to find their feet on that so you know what I what I want to see is positivity about the 12 of 12 players coming from the top 25 and mm-hmm. multiply that by 16 and you've got a lot of stars. Did it take a long time to get buy-in from all the clubs or were they quite enthusiastic from the get-go when it was first raised? Look, from the first presentation done um, by JUCO, they were enthusiastic. I think the reality of um, delivering all 16 clubs into one location um, in another country uh, in the pre-season, which is a busy pre-season, they make a lot of commitments to um, community and sponsors and preparation. And so, you know, there's been a a natural level of caution um, but like I say we couldn't have done more to engage with our clubs to ensure that we deliver on our promise um, and you know everybody's on board with that now because this is a significant partnership for us with government it's a significant partnership um, to build the Warriors and the New Zealand Rugby League and, um, and, and everyone's behind it. Obviously it would have probably been easier to have a tournament like this in Sydney and uh, just you know, just for the years of getting clubs there, but you were obviously keen to um, take it into a sort of new market. Yeah, look, you know, credit to GCO and credit to AC that they brought the con- the concept to us. Um, but look, rugby league in New Zealand's growing. We're looking for opportunity in New Zealand to build the profile of the sport. We know that the Warriors are a major. Um, sporting team here but we also know that the NRL as a game is popular and we know that there'll be support for the other teams and I think to showcase all 16 teams here in Auckland it's a great time of year Um, we think we can deliver on the the promise of travel from fans I think it's a great concept for rugby league fans who are starved of their footy over a you know three or four month period who want to get out and be a part of it I think it's a great concept for them to spend the weekend here so and and the sport is going to continue to grow in New Zealand and and this is going to be a, an anchor event that the Warriors can launch from we can launch international footy from um, so I think it's it's an ideal event to play here in Auckland. The Nines event is the brainchild of the former New Zealand rugby league player Dean Lonigan and his promotions company Juco Events. I caught up with him at the launch and asked if he was confident he could sell the 96,000 tickets on offer for the tournament. This is a, an event that's going to appeal to rugby league and sports fans in Australasia. You know, I expect a huge amount of people to come from down country. I expect a large amount of people to be coming out of Australia, rugby league fans, because they don't get the opportunity to see the 16 teams run around. Uh, even in Australia, you know, over two days and see the whole lot. So do I expect 48,000? I'd like to get 48,000. I fully expect we'll go close to that number per day in the first year. And uh, I can promise you this, it will grow over time. And the way we're pricing this thing, you know, it's priced for families to come along. Uh, 69 bucks for a two-day pass is the cheapest adults' tickets and 49 bucks is the cheapest kids' ticket. When you compare that to, say, all-black test matches, concerts, all those sorts of things, that's pretty damn cheap in comparison. 
and so you think within in the five year period it's going to be or you can get to a point where it is like the Wellington Sevens and a must do on the sporting well, I, fans I, I think it'll be a must do from year one you know I've, I know a lot of people already are saying look we've been to the Sevens four or five times can't wait to come to the Nines and check out and see something different so I expect from year one we're going to get massive support Obviously with the sevens as well, there's that sort of negative side um, where it's so, not about the footy, more about the party. Is that something that you don't this, really want? This will more? be 100% about the footy and having a lot of fun around it. And the reason is simple, is the on-field product is far superior. You know, we're going to have 16 NRL clubs, but not just a whole bunch of no-names, an absolute plethora of stars turning out implying their trade and these guys you know these clubs have been broadcast into New Zealand for the last 25 30 years New Zealanders have embraced it right across the country and and to top it all off you saw in the presentation today there's going to be a whole lot of stars coming and and there's a bare minimum contractual minimum in the in, in the um, in the contract that we've got with the NRL and it's taken so long to get this far because uh, they wanted to make sure they could deliver so uh, yes this will be first and foremost about what goes on in the middle of the field and the fun that's had around it, well, that'll be secondary. And you'll, but you'll still sort of try and create some of that sort of festival atmosphere? Well, or? Think, yeah, our, our job is to put on fantastic uh, entertainment in the middle of the field, and what the crowd gets up to and how they dress up all around the outside, well, that's entirely up to them. It won't be discouraged, put it that way. But uh, what we will be doing is making sure that we've got strict and, 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 and sensible alcohol policies in place so that it can remain a family event and a whole lot of fun. And do, within Auckland itself, are there any sort of plans to maybe have some other events sort of piggyback off? Because that's another thing the Sevens yeah. does with the street party. And Look, sort of uh, like we're working through with Auckland City on that, and you know, I would fully expect uh, we'll have a major parade down uh, Queen Street with the teams, which is something the rugby league's never been afforded before, which would be pretty awesome. And then we'll uh, have all of the rugby league teams go out to rugby league clubs. So the NRL clubs will, will marry up with the uh, Auckland rugby league clubs. School kids will be invited in to you know, meet their, their stars and their heroes. So there'll be a whole lot of activities. And uh, longer term, I can definitely see a, uh, another tournament taking place a week before where maybe we invite you know, teams from all over the world to come down and play in a nines tournament here in Auckland City. It runs for a week and then culminates in them sort of uh, coming to watch the main, uh, the main event. The New Zealand Test Cricket Team to tour Bangladesh was named this week and featured two newcomers in the league spinner Ish Sodi and the all-rounder Corey Anderson. More interestingly, it was the first team announcement under the new general manager of national selection, Bruce Edgar. I caught up with him at the team naming and asked how he'd found his first team selection and working with the coach, Mike Hesson. It went smoothly. It was a robust discussion. Uh, discussed a lot of players. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we got to... Um, our final selection quite quite easily really it was um, looking at the players that have played recently and looking at those that have been potential candidates uh, for selection and we've obviously brought in a couple of new players and uh, we've been affected by a couple of injuries as well. And the way the system worked with yourself and Mike you felt that, that that's a uh, system that you can work with moving forward as well? Absolutely. Um, as I said, we had a robust discussion about players. And um, Look, at the end of the day, we'll get to an end result and we'll come out of the room and say we've picked our side. But we'll have some challenging calls to make from time to time and that's just the way it is. You know, it's, uh, you, you, know you might have people saying, well, you know, who has a, a right of veto or anything like that? I've spoken to people in Australia and New Zealand who've been in selection roles um, generally it doesn't sort of get carried because when people go through the process they end up 
arriving at a team, and that's from robust discussion. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you'll be, or you're focusing on players that have been consistent over a period of time, so that is to ensure you don't get those sort of outlier performances and then uh, find they can't can't cope in the nas- uh, in the international stage. Sorry. Yeah, look, that's really important. Um, consistency. We also want to give players, you know, the feeling that um, you, you know we're picking you for a reason because we know that you've got talent, you've got skill, um, and we don't want to play around with their minds thinking, oh, I'm in for this game and I could be up tomorrow. Uh, that doesn't work. Revolving door policies don't work. Um, doesn't help the culture of the team either. And so you get a, a, a very strong unit, plenty of energy going forward in the same direction. That's what you want in a team that they go, right. We've seen examples recently of teams that have chopped and changed and those that have been stable. And I think the ones that have tended to be more stable have been more successful. And after your first uh little period in the job, are you sort of happy with what you see in terms of the talent pools in New Zealand cricket at the moment? I've seen the top talent pool, you know, the Black Caps in New Zealand A, um, it's it's underneath that and working with that. So obviously, yeah, obviously you have to wait until the domestic season to sort of really see what, what you've got at first class level? At first class level and also, um, you know, our information and research will be going down below that as well so under 19s and people will be feeding out what's happening in under 17s and um just a word on obviously having a couple of injuries to some guys that would have probably been automatic selections sort of gives you an opportunity to pick these new guys for this trip exactly you know like um you know i think with uh with ish and uh it gives them a great opportunity to, to, to be involved in the Black Caps, um, uh, you know, playing in the subcontinent. You know, when it's unfortunate when people get get injured, um, but it also gives others the opportunity to come in. And that actually, um, what we really want at the end of the day is bench strength. You know, we want to have a range of players that we can call on, and, and you can be confident that they're going to step up. And I guess without wanting to underestimate uh, Bangladesh, it's probably easier to pick these new young guys for a tour to Bangladesh as opposed to, say, going to India. might do more harm than good to their confidence and that sort of thing. There's a risk in anything, and it's really how these players approach it and how they take to the tour. So it doesn't really matter which countries you're touring. At the end of the day, they have some responsibility and accountability, and uh, we believe that they're the right people to do it now. New Zealand eventing appears to be on the rise again and New Zealand riders are among the favourites for one of the top three-day events in England, the Burley Horse Trials, this weekend. World number one Andrew Nicholson is the defending champion, Jock Padgett is the current inform rider, or Sir Mark Todd is also taking part. There's been a resurgence for New Zealand eventers around the world and it's been led by Nicholson, who's risen to the top of the rankings in recent years. He first represented New Zealand at the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. Barry Guy caught up with Nicholson and asked him about his stable of horses. Yeah, I've got um, very, very nice horses. I get them all when they're very young and um, train them you know, through, through the grades over the years. But you know, they're, they're very quality horses and you know, I pay a reasonable price for them when they're very young. They have good pedigrees for competition horses and they're very trainable. And you know, Now I'm starting to, to get the rewards of of all that. What is it, uh, I sort of remember back over the years, New Zealand horses, it appeared that perhaps, you know, would try and stay in touch with the dressage, 
that they'd excel in the cross country and then you know try and go clear in the in the show show jumping. But it was the cross country that seemed to be their forte. Is that still the case? Um, yeah, it's now, now to win them to win a four star event, you've got to be right there in the dressage. You've got to be right there on the cross country, and then you pretty much got to jump a clear around the show jumping. Um, you know, none of my three horses are New Zealand horses. The sort of one's Irish, one's English, and one's Spanish. Um, yeah, their horses come from all over the world now. William Fox Pitt's best horse is a New Zealand horse. I mean, Jock's horse is a New Zealand horse. But they don't just rely on the cross-country now. They're very good at the dressage and the show jumping. Uh, just talking about, uh, you mentioned Jock Paget, uh, last year's bronze medal at the Olympics, and, and this year so many New Zealand equestrians seem to be in the in the headlines. Is it some sort of resurgence? Um, is yeah, I, I, I think it's um, it's probably like all sports. It's, it's very, very healthy for your own team when you have a a very good couple of team members. It starts to raise the whole profile of it all, and I think you all raise your game a little more, a little more as things go along, and. Um, it's, a, it's a very positive sign for New Zealand eventing. I think last weekend Tim Price won Blair Castle's three-star event, which is a grade down from Burley. But he won that, um, you know, so he's starting to raise his game. You know, it's, I think it's having the likes of Jock do so well at the World Games three years ago, again at the Olympics, win badminton. It just, just sort of pressurises the young ones into having to step step up a bit more. What is your sort of uh, lead-up days to it? Is, are you sort of, a, you know, com- compare you to an all-black that you're focused on, you know, the job in hand or, or you know, looking after the horses? Just just watch the process. It's, um, you know, like I have a, a stable of sort of 20, 27 horses. So three of them are going to Burley. Obviously, they get priority I but I may work um, five younger ones each day before I ride the ones going to Burley you know so the the younger ones they might only be at the bottom level but they're very important they're, they're the ones for the future they've got national competitions coming up in the next few weeks um, so you know that helps keep you very level in your your mind and um, probably very real on the whole situation. You know, we we rely on our horses' health and their well-being um, as much as our own. So, you know, it's important we don't overwork our best ones and not underwork them. So, I find it's a big help to have a, a big team of horses and be able to concentrate just as much on the younger ones um, and use them as warm-up ones before I ride my very good ones each day. The Wellington long-distance swimmer Casey Glover recorded the fastest time this year in completing the English Channel swim. Glover, who holds the record for the fastest crossing of Cook Strait, was attempting the Dover to Calais record, but he says the conditions and tides acted against him. His time of 9 hours and 16 minutes is the best this year, but well short of the record of 6 hours and 55 minutes. 
Barry Guy caught up with Glover after the swim. The body's definitely shattered. Um, but in, in the end, uh, overall, I'm feeling pretty good now. We, we just arrived back in Dover, so had a um, two-hour ride in the boat, which wasn't too much fun. But, yeah, it's good. it'll be good to be back on land. So just tell us how uh, the day went for you, the swim. Um, so we started, kicked off um, about 10, quarter past seven. Um, started off really strong. Um, first three hours I was holding a, a really good pace and then and then the, the wind and the, all, all the tide and the currents kind of um, started turning against me and and I slowly, um, if you if you saw my um, tracking, I got I got swept um, a bit too far north, and then so I had to cut back in towards the end. So um, didn't go the straightest line possible. So I swam a little bit extra. <laughs> so so were these circumstances that perhaps you know you um, weren't prepared for or unexpected? Um, well, it's just kind of luck of the day, what what you get given. Um, I was hoping I'd, I'd get a, a, an ideal day, but um, it, it was definitely the possibility of having a good day. But, yeah, um, you, you never know what the weather's going to do. And and uh, I know you are, but you were hoping to sort of go close to the record of about six hours. You finished about nine, so um, you know is that a, a, a little disappointing, or is it just a, a set, some satisfaction of completing it? Um, oh, the records, yeah, it was uh, more close to seven hours, or six hours fifty-five. So um, I kind of knew uh, midway that it wasn't going to be a a record day so it was more just about completing it as fast as I, I can and um, for this year I'm the fastest swimmer for this year so um, it's it's still a very rewarding um, achievement. What's it like the last sort of couple of hours? Um, it was it was kind of um, oh, what's the word uh, we, we just don't think and and you just go through the motions and um, just keep putting one arm in front of the other. The, the whole body was, um, all, all, my whole upper body was in a lot of pain. So it was um, just get to the end as quick as I could. And what about, uh, did you think about all of those laps that you used to do in Wellington and the lead up to this, you know, um, all the effort that's gone in? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking about... Um, Especially in like the the start and middle, um, kind of early on when the mind's really fresh. So I was yeah thinking about what I'd done and why I'm here and and all the people that have helped support me and yeah and that that kept me focused. Uh, so what what now? You know, um, do you think well that's it done that sort of thing? I can tick that off the bucket list. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I don't have um, anything else in mind, um, like marathon swimming-wise. Uh, but you never know. I might uh, something might pop up, and yeah, I'm, I'm capable of doing a lot more if I if I have the uh, 
passion and want to do it. Any energy left to celebrate? Uh, yeah, we're going to head down to a, a pub called The White Horses. It's where every English Channel swimmer goes and signs their name on the wall in their time. Um, so we'll, we'll grab a pint down there. That's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radioNZ.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves, and we'll be back with more Extra Time next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.